They buried Sayyid Abdul Karim's hand in a shallow grave under an acacia tree on the highway outside Tonk. The pot-bellied carpenter's demonstration of his new, easy-to-produce muzzle-loading gun had ended in disaster. From then on, Karim would be known to the small army of jihadists he tried to raise, as well as to intelligence officers hunting him down by the derogatory nickname Tunda or Cripple. Karim hoped to unleash fire and blood across India, but lacked both the means and the men to do it. Earlier this week, millions of Indians celebrated the opening of the Ram Temple in Ayodhya. The story I'm going to be telling you about today is the forgotten tale of the men who hoped to stop it from ever being built. The story has been assembled from legal and intelligence records that the print has obtained, as well as interviews with officers who investigated the cases. 83-year-old Karim had given up on his jihadist project long before the temple began being built. In 2005, he married a new teenage wife and began running a seminary for small children in Karachi. Thrice arrested by the Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate on suspicion of being an Indian spy, however, Karim finally returned to India and to jail. He has been in prison since 2013 when he was arrested by the Delhi police. Acquitted in three terrorism-related cases, he faces trial in three more. Karim's Lashkar-e-Taiba assigned trainer, former Pakistan Army Special Services Group Commando Abdul Qadir, gave up on jihadism too. Qadir began a practice as an exorcist instead and has acquired a reputation, when told, for being a skilled practitioner of the arts of removing evil spells. The jihad financier who backed the project, Arif Kasmani, retired to his lavish home at B32 on Tipu Sultan Road in Karachi. Kasmani's sons, Karim told intelligence interrogators, in testimony which under Indian law cannot be used for the purposes of his trial, were highly westernized and showed no interest in carrying on their father's jihadist legacy. Abdul Rahman al-Dakil, a committed jihadist who volunteered to train the army of Indian jihadists Karim tried to raise, drifted away to the glories of war in Iraq, where he was arrested by the United States. The dismal end of Karim's jihad against the temple at Ayodhya, though, was not inevitable and holds important lessons for us today. Born in the crowded lanes of Gali Chhatta Lalmia in Delhi's Daryaganj, Karim grew up in Pilkhua, Uttar Pradesh. He studied at a local English medium school until class 7, but was compelled to drop out after the death of his father. Then he began work casting metal at brass works and in Firozabad's glass bangle foundries, and then as a carpenter. I developed a wish to explore India and to see the places which I read about in my school history book, he told one intelligence officer. Even that wish was not easy to realize. In mid-1959, Karim and a friend Jitendra Mochi were detained by a ticket inspector when they attempted to travel from Firozabad to Agra without a ticket. Lacking money to pay the fine, Karim had to repair the railway station's furniture while Jitendra Mochi polished the ticket inspector's shoes. The 1985 riots in Ahmedabad, chronicled by the scholar Ornit Shani, sparked off Karim's ideological radicalization. 
Muhammad Zafar, one of his in-laws, was burned alive along with seven others, Karim told his interrogators. A local cleric, Wali Muhammad, introduced Karim to the idea of jihad. Karim spent several weeks studying Quranic verses on resisting oppression. Lacking any practical means to act on his newfound beliefs though, Karim began experimenting with crude bombs made from bleaching powder and other easily obtained compounds. He also began meeting with others inspired by the idea of jihad, including the convicted Maharashtra doctor turned jihadist Jali Sansari and Hyderabad gangster and Islamist activist Azam Ghori. The men set up a new organization to wage jihad. The Amir of the Jamaat-e-Islami in Rajasthan, Abdul Alim, offered to raise volunteers for the group, Karim said. The loss of his hand in Kota, though, made clear the group needed more than Karim's very dubious bomb-making skills. In 1989, Karim began a new business dealing in gemstones that he sourced from Kerala, Karnataka and Tamil Nadu. The business flourished and Karim was able to make two visits to Pakistan. Ahead of his third visit, the editor of an Islamist magazine published from Varanasi, Maulana Saifur Rahman Mubarakpuri, gave him a letter of introduction to a well-known jihadist in Pakistan. The man Karim met is one many Indians have heard of. Hafiz Muhammad Zaid, the head of the Lashkar-e-Taiba. Earlier, in 1986, a district judge had ordered the gates of the Babri Masjid's inner courtyard to be opened for Hindu worshippers. The Vishwa Hindu Parishad and the Bharatiya Janata Party began a campaign to build a Ram temple in place of the Babri Masjid. The campaign culminated with the demolition of the Babri Masjid by Hindu nationalists in December 1992. Karim told his interrogators that he discussed the large-scale communal conflict that broke out after the demolition of the mosque with Saeed. Though criminal cartels like that of Daud Ibrahim had the means to stage retaliatory violence, of the kind we saw in Mumbai in 1993, a much larger insurgency needed to be stoked, Karim argued. Ansari, the doctor Karim had met, had successfully set off bombs after the demolition of the Babri Masjid. The group followed up by planting bombs on several trains on the first anniversary of the mosque's demolition. Ansari's cell, though, struggled to obtain explosives the doctor would later tell police investigators, and lacked the knowledge to make effective improvised explosive devices. The Lashkar commander, Hafiz Saeed, seemed interested in Karim's plans for a larger jihadist project and offered to train him at the terrorist group's camp at Kunar, which is just across the Afghan-Pakistan border. Karim, however, told his interrogators that he found himself physically unable to meet the rigours involved. Late in 1994, Karim returned to Pakistan, this time travelling through Bangladesh on a fake passport. Instead of training Indian nationals for the jihad, the Lashkar had decided to use Karim's networks and on-ground knowledge to station its own operatives. The Lashkar's plans, though, came to not very much. The Lashkar's resident agent, Mohammad Ishtiak, the son of a shopkeeper from Kala Gujra in Pakistan's Jhelum district, managed to obtain an Indian passport and even married a local resident in Hyderabad, Momina Khatun. Ishtiak, however, was arrested before he could do any real harm. 
Ghori, meanwhile, returned to India to support the Lashkar's project. He was, however, slain by police soon afterwards. Karim's jihadist project collapsed amidst mutual recrimination. The carpenter accused Hafiz Saeed of misappropriating funds meant for the jihad in India. Saeed, in turn, put it about that Karim was an agent for India's research and analysis wing. Later, Karim would be tapped by Khalistan groups operating from Lahore to infiltrate their operatives into India through Bangladesh. This effort, however, also came to nothing after Karim revealed he had no assets in place who could guarantee success. In 2000, Karim said, he finally gave up. He began a property trading business in Karachi called Nadim Housing Enterprises, which sold plots on the city's new northern bypass route to Balochistan. Karim also ran a perfume business outside Muridke, the headquarters of the lashkar taiba From his interrogation records, it is clear a small circle of expatriate jihadists began to emerge in Karachi towards the end of the decade. Karim told investigators a kind of funny story about Abdul Aziz, a Hyderabad jihadist, and his friend Amir Raza Khan, who for a time shared an apartment in Karachi. Following arguments between their wives, Karim said, the two men had to look for new homes. Three boys from Bijnor, he revealed, also arrived for training. Although Karim did not know it, he was witnessing the birth of the Indian Mujahideen, which would stage the bloodiest urban terror offensive in Indian history. Emerging from the ranks of the student Islamic movement of India, a new generation of jihadists would work with the Lashkar to successfully stage the kind of attacks Karim had hoped for but never succeeded in carrying out. For its part, the Indian Mujahideen also ultimately failed. It could not create the kind of large-scale Muslim insurgency against the Indian state that was necessary for terrorism to really have an impact. Few Muslims outside its closed networks were drawn to the idea of violence. And sources for the flow of weapons needed to sustain large-scale insurgency simply didn't exist. The second jihadist wave also failed, albeit after claiming far more lives than the first one. The ghost of Karim's hand, though, still casts a shadow over India's charged communal landscape today. The deep springs of resentment the early jihadists drew on still exist, and new Islamist forces like the Islamic State are drawing small numbers of Indians to their ranks again. Lacking any movement towards communal reconciliation, the threat will continue to hover over India's charged politics. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm a contributing editor to The Print. Thank you for watching Security Code.